The Gospel reading is from John chapter 2 and the first 11 verses. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from thirty, sorry, from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let's pray together before we look at this portion of God's Word. Lord Jesus Christ, You revealed your glory there at Cana in Galilee and your disciples put their faith in you. Reveal your glory to us this night we pray through your word and by your spirit. Strengthen our faith. Help us to see something of who you are and what you have done for us, that we might rejoice in you. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Just to set this reading in context, you'll notice it begins with the words, on the third day. So something has happened before this. And what has happened is that Jesus has been gathering disciples. First of all, John the Baptist had pointed out Jesus to his own disciples and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
and many of his disciples went and followed Jesus. And then Jesus had gathered more disciples around him who followed and went with him wherever he, he was going. And one of the places he went to was Cana in Galilee, a town or a village not far from his hometown of Nazareth. He went there for a wedding. His mother was there. Perhaps it was a family wedding. And Jesus had been invited along, along with his disciples. And the wine had run out. Weddings in those days went on for some time, the celebrations of them. And the wine ran out perhaps because of the number of disciples Jesus had brought with him, an unexpected crowd. There's no more wine. So Mary has a word with Jesus. In Galilee in the first century, to run out of wine at a wedding would have brought great shame on the bridegroom and his family who had organised the feast. And maybe Mary if it had been a family wedding, had even been involved in preparations for the feast. She felt something of the shame that they would feel. And she felt partly responsible if her son and his friends had helped to consume all the wine. And so she comes to him and says, they're running out of wine. I don't know what response she expected from him, but the response at first doesn't seem very promising. Jesus says to her, Dear woman, dear is added in the NIV, he just says woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. What did Jesus mean by these words? If you follow through John's Gospel, you'll see the phrase used that Jesus' time had not yet come. Used right through to the 12th chapter of John's Gospel, where it says the time had now come. Jesus was very conscious that he had come into the world for a purpose, to lay down his life for sinners. He had embarked on the work that the Father had given him to do. He was no longer a free agent who could do just what his mother wanted him to do. He had to be obedient to his Heavenly Father. And I think that's what he's telling her. Nevertheless, she knows he's going to do something. And so she says to the servants, whatever he tells you, you do. And you know what Jesus did. John tells us that there were six stone water jars standing there that were used for ceremonies of purification. Each holding, it depends whether you've got the old NIV with its 20 to 30 gallons or the up-to-date one with its 
between 80 and 120 litres. But it's an awful lot of water they held. That water would probably have been used to pour over the hands and the forearms of those who'd arrived at the feast. That was their custom, to ensure that everyone was cleansed before they ate. Jesus tells the servants, fill them up. I don't think they were completely empty at this time. I don't think we have to think that. But they've been used. And so they fill them up. And they fill them right to the brim. Their capacity is about 850 wine bottlefuls. And then Jesus tells them, the servants, to take some of the contents of those jars, to take it in a cup to the master of the feast. And that's what they did. And the master of the feast tastes this water that's now become wine and declares that it is the very best of wine he's tasted at this feast. Much better than any they've drunk so far. So the wedding ceremony continued with great celebrations and everybody happy with what they were receiving. Well, what, is, what on earth is all this about? Why did Jesus perform this miracle? And why is it recorded here in Scripture for us? It's clear that Jesus didn't just do it to save the embarrassment of the master of the feast. Jesus is not like Superman who rushes around to get people out of fixes all the time. He's far more than that. And John tells us that what Jesus did here in Canaan of, Ga Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This was the first of Jesus' signs. Well, what was it a sign of? Firstly, it was a sign of who Jesus is. Who can turn water into wine? At a word of command. Not even, not even that, at a thought. Who can do such a thing? Well, only the great creator God who made water and who made grapes at the beginning. This sign shows us something of who Jesus is. He is the great creator, come in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And secondly, it's a sign of what Jesus came to do. These water jars and the water in them were for ceremonial cleansing. They were reminders of a problem. The problem of human sin. The problem that we are unfit to stand in the presence of God. We're unclean. We're unholy. They were reminders of a problem, but they didn't furnish the solution. 
if I can put it this way, the water could wash the skin, but it couldn't wash away sin. In turning water into wine, Jesus demonstrates that he's come to sweep away the symbols of the old covenant and to bring in the reality to which they pointed. He is the one who can, who can cleanse the heart from sin. He provides real cleansing of both heart and conscience. He does this firstly through his own shed blood. It is his blood that washes away our sin and unrighteousness. In a short time we'll be celebrating communion together and we'll be drinking wine together. What is it that this wine symbolises? It symbolises for us the shed blood of the Lord Jesus by which we are cleansed from sin. And that finest of all wines at that feast was just a sign of what Jesus was to do in providing that real cleansing from sin through his own shed blood. There's a wonderful picture, a paradoxical picture. I always find it the strangest and yet most wonderful of pictures in the book of Revelation. John sees this great multitude of people gathered a bit around the throne of God. And they're all dressed in white robes. And John is asked, who are these? And he says, I don't know, you tell me. And he's told, these are those who have washed their robes and made them clean in the blood of the Lamb. I'm sure none of you, particularly you ladies, um, sorry to be a bit sexist, but none of you would dream of washing your clothes in blood to make them clean. But that's the picture of the book of Revelation. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus that cleanses us from sin and makes us white, shining in the sight of God, fit to stand in his presence, symbolised here in this water, turned into wine. In changing the water into wine, Jesus replaces the symbol of the old covenant with the reality. Jesus cleanses us through his shed blood, but also through the power of his spirit at work in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and applies the work of Christ to our hearts, makes us to know that when Christ died, he died for us, and that we are made clean through his shed blood. The wine at the feast points us to the Holy Spirit who fills us with joy and peace in believing. Do not get drunk on wine, says the Apostle Paul, but be filled with the Spirit. Jesus provides us with the fine wine of the Spirit, the wine of the kingdom, to fill our hearts with joy, knowing that he 
has made us clean. It's a sign of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, of what he's come to do, cleanse us through his atoning work. And it's a sign that Jesus is not niggardly in his blessings. When the wine was running out, Jesus doesn't provide a bottle or two. He provides 850 bottles worth of the very finest of wine. Jesus is not niggardly in his blessings. John writes at the beginning of his gospel, we have all received from his fullness grace upon grace. And the Apostle Paul, when he contrasts what Christ has done to what Adam did, bringing us into condemnation. He says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? The abundant provision of grace, grace upon grace, Christ provides us with an abundant treasury of good gifts and blessings poured out upon us to gladden our hearts. In him, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. The grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ is profligate grace. And fourthly and lastly, it's a power, it's a sign of the power of Christ to transform lives. Christ changes the ordinary water into extraordinary wine. Jesus is able to transform the ordinary things of our life into the extraordinary wine of the kingdom. Several years ago I was asked by a Salvation Army major to speak at uh, a hostel, Salvation Army hostel, to give my testimony. And I said to him, I said, uh, I don't think the, the people in that hostel will find it very interesting. I think it would be a bit boring for them. And this dear man rebuked me in the gentlest possible fashion with words I will never forget. He said to me, God doesn't do boring. God doesn't do boring. How true. Jesus transforms the ordinary, everyday business of our lives into something extraordinary by his presence, by his power, by his blessing. So in closing, I want to remind you that scriptures speak to us, not only of this wedding at Cana in Galilee, but speak to us also of a far greater and more splendid wedding. They speak to us of the marriage supper of the Lamb, the culmination of all Christ's great work when we will stand with him in glory and see him face to face and be made like him.
The joy of that wedding feast is only palely reflected in the very real joy of this wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. But I wonder how many of those who tasted that wine and enjoyed it, who saw that sign, never really saw what it all meant. Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. But were there many that day who failed to see the glory of the Saviour? On this Sunday marking Epiphany, the glory of God appearing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that each of us will see his glory and put our faith in him. I want us not just to read this account of the water into wine and the power of Christ who makes all things new, but to see his glory and experience his renewing power in anticipation of that day when we will see him face to face and be made perfectly like him. I want us to be filled with joy and peace in believing. I want us to know the abundance of his grace and goodness and to have an irrepressible testimony to the goodness, mercy and power of our triumphant, our triune God. I want us to let this tired old world know that here is the one who makes all things new. May this be a year of knowing anew the blessing, the glory, the presence, the transforming power of the Lord Jesus, for his name's sake.